Welcome to Second Wind with Joyce Buford, a program for and about women. Joyce Buford is a certified coach who has a passion for helping women who need a second wind. Joyce is the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, a program that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. As a certified coach, she studied directly with her mentor, Jack Canfield, author of the Chicken Soup book series, where she served as an assistant to his training program. Through her study with many prestigious coaches and mentors, she has created a powerful program that has positively impacted hundreds of people. On today's program, Joyce and her guest will help you learn how to get your second wind. Now here's our host, Joyce Buford. Good morning. I'm delighted that you're with us today because I'm going to ask you to remember if you've ever picked up a self-help book, have you ever watched a series about UFOs? Have you ever had an experience like that in your life? Well, most of us have. Most of us have been totally unaware of the person behind that. And that is my guest today, Sandra Martin. She started her career as a literary agent and executive producer for television and has been devoted to bringing inspiring, boundary-breaking books and television documentaries in the fields of spirituality, self-help, and consciousness to the mainstream public. Now, in 1986, Miss Martin created Paraview Incorporated. Paraview holds a unique position in the media industry for being among the first to successfully develop literary properties for the worldwide audience of cultural creativity. Now, as a literary agent, Ms. Martin has many, many New York Times bestsellers, and she has also produced documentaries that probably she could name today, and we'd say, oh, I've seen that. Oh, I have been there. But she didn't start out in New York or in that exciting, impressive life. She started out as a young girl living on a dairy farm in Virginia. And so she is was very much like many of you maybe listening out there of simple beginnings. But she was a voracious reader, and so she embarked on a journey of discovery at a time when the new age was new and sparkling. She married early, and with little education, she continued to grow as an award-winning account executive at a local PBS station. So you never know when those early steps, where they're going to take you. A chance encounter turned her career from television to developing and establishing a literary agency in Manhattan, developed to New Age authors. Now, in the later few years, last few years, she has changed her direction again and now is living in Virginia Beach, outside in Virginia. And she has a totally new direction that we're excited about. She's going to share with us today with her new book, 
Snapshots, which is about her other love of life, which is entertaining and food and preparing that in the garden that she now works in on her original family farm. So, Sandra, welcome to the show. We're so excited to start this journey with you. It's nice to be here. Oh, yes. So you were the one that we have to thank for all of this self-help that we've been going through, that I've spent most of my life reading. Right. You know, when I, when I first started to go to New York, those kinds of books were, were not, they weren't really very many of them. They, they considered self-help at that time diet books, pretty much. Okay. And so that, so we started to, sell books on how to interpret your dreams, you know, how to understand your intuition and how to build on your spirituality, you know, mm-hmm. the development of understanding who we are. Because most of us have grown up in, especially from my perspective here in Southern Virginia, from mm-hmm. a really deep, deep Christian background and understood that, um, you know, that was the way, that was the the way to to everything. But I was always so curious about everything. And I, you know, I mean, I I grew up in this Baptist family and and I would say, well, don't you think those people all around the world that God provides their religion for them too? And Mm -hmm. the minister would just look at me like, what are you talking about, girl? But, but I, so I was always, even as a child, interested in those kinds of things and trying to understand it. And I actually believe a lot of children are in that in that kind of thought process and don't mm-hmm. really understand a lot of the things that that we're taught. But as mm-hmm. I um, I got married and I moved to Richmond and where I raised my kids, but I met George Ritchie there, and George Ritchie was. Um, the first person uh, that really brought the near-death experience to the light, to understanding. Oh. I mean, Socrates mm-hmm. had a near-death experience and wrote about it, you know, in mm-hmm. 1500. I mean, it was, yeah. it was interesting. But but still, um, he talked about it, and he was... Um, at, he had he was a medical doctor, but he'd gone back to UVA to get his psychiatry degree, which is where he met Raymond Moody. And mm-hmm. Raymond Moody ended up writing the book Life After Life based on meeting George and finding that there were a lot of people who had this experience. But he was my mentor, and it was great because he had this extensive background and this deep faith and understanding. And, and during his experience, he had been with Jesus and was shown all these different dimensions and level of uh, levels of understanding and things like that. But um, during that time, I was I was uh, also understanding myself on this, my own mm-hmm. growth and sort of where mm-hmm. I was and what was going on. And um, I ended up divorcing my young husband, who mm-hmm. we were both young when we got married. Mm-hmm. And uh, I moved to Virginia Beach, where the Edgar Casey organization was, but just to have a new start and mm-hmm. to, um, you know, get a deeper understanding of things. So right. my life has always been on this sort of search. And, um, you know, I, can, I, I do think that we are all on a search, and we are all trying to understand mm-hmm. ourselves better, especially as women. We have yeah. so many obstacles to overcome just because we're women, 
but also to things that are positive that, you know, would grow our lives. Right. Well, back then, I mean, I could just imagine that it took a tremendous amount of courage to having been raised in the the yeah, Christian to the courage to open up and be willing to talk about these things. You know, sometimes oh, I even only. feel some stress when I'm exploring some new things, and that's only because of my background. You know, Christian know. background. So Me too. And I, I mean, just I, cannot I, imagine. It, it's like George used to say, "I love Jesus," but I think that there are a lot of people out there that love their gods too. <laughs> you know that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> but um, when it was so, uh, when I first started going to New York, when you're talking about being scared, I was so scared that I would have such a knot in my stomach that I would hurt. I mean, I would ache the whole time I was there when I first started to go up to make these pitches. And I mean, I, I have to say that one time this man said to me, this editor at Penguin, he said to me, just right to my face, he said, gosh, you're really smart for a Southern woman. <laughs> it's just like, um, damn, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Well, yes, they sort of have an image, don't they, about us? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, was I don't know where bored. they get that. It was before Scarlett came on the scene, for sure. So, anyway, but you, I... I just keep thinking as I was reading all the notes and preparing, I just kept feeling those knots that you must have felt because yeah. you you know, I I read read the story about the the horse races and your oh, intuitiveness yeah. there in winning every race, people. She she won every race her first time there. But it was such a delightful story because um the in, you had the ability. You knew you had intuitives. I don't think you knew it at that time, did you? You just thought it was no, luck. No, I didn't. I just thought that every now and then I had a really strong lucky streak. And that's exactly uh-huh. how I looked at it. Every now and then. And, you know, we would go to these big, um, my husband was a professional fellow and he uh, belonged to a lot of organizations. And we'd go to these mm-hmm. big fundraisers and stuff. And, you know, they'd say, whoever has the you know, um, ticket under their plate wins the big um, flower <laughs> arrangement in the middle. And I would always win. And I would just go, I'm just lucky. I don't know. And so that's the kind of how I looked at that. I was just lucky. Right. So, But that was a scary thing. I didn't know what to do with those, uh, those guys. They were so condescending, you know, in the beginning. Mm. And then they were just like, it was funny, but. Well, if after a while, they have to see what believe what they see. <laughs> <laughs> she won winning. She she won four. She only bet winners. Do you, do you want me to tell that story? Would oh, you like me it. to tell that? Yeah, story? tell it. Okay. They'll love it. So, um, I was I was this young mother. I was living in Richmond, and um, my husband. We used to make this joke, you know, that uh, and actually, Dave Barry wrote a great article on it when you're young family, how every friend you have, the husband is an insurance salesman and how they want to sell you insurance. Yeah. So this this couple that were friends of ours, and he was big on horse racing because he had horses and he was really into it. And so he asked us, neither my husband's name was John, neither John and I had even ever been on a horse. 
But anyway, he said, you know, let's, let's go to this horse race. And we said, okay. So, you know, we drove up there to Pimlico and, um, you know, I just didn't know much of anything. It was just, in, it was in the 60s and it was, I knew that this whole sort of women's movement was taking place, but it was not reaching me in Richmond, Virginia. <laughs> and I was really just unaware. I was just, you know, going about my life, raising my kids, going to the PTA, things like that. And right. so, um, so anyway, we go up there and um, they're walking around the paddock looking at the horses and the wife, I think she had come to these a lot with her husband, so she goes off. And I guess a little brochure, which is just a little um, <laughs> staple pad of all the horse races and the horse and the, uh, the jockey. And I just sat down, you know, in the front of the where our seats were, and nobody was around. And I just looked at every one of those, and I just had an, a feeling, and I would just check well, who I thought was going to win. And um, just like that, exactly like that, there were 10 races, and mm-hmm. I just did that. And um, so everybody came back, and I asked John if I could bet on my horse, and and he was like, okay. <laughs> and so I went up and put, on, put my $2 up, and um, they were betting, you know, big money and stuff for that time period and for our family. And so uh anyhow, so the first race, I, the horse won. And so, you know, people were like, oh, that was really cool to enter your first race, and that was really great. But, you know, that was like first time I was like, and whatever. And so we were just, I was like, okay. And I was thrilled because, you know, I won. I think I won $8 for my $2 bet. Yeah. So the next one came up, and um I won that one, too. And the mm-hmm. next one came up, and I won that. And then by then, there was a little lady that was obviously an aficionado of the horse horse betting place. I think she was probably there every day, all day. But she started following me around, and she stood right over my shoulder and would just look right at my little pad, and she would just check whatever <laughs> I was doing. And John would just push her away. Go away. Leave her alone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's so funny. Saying, no, but you know what? what? You did that all day long. I did and that all day long. What was your total winnings that day? I only won about $200 or $300 because I only bet $2 each time. Right. But the uh, men, by the time we got to the end of the day on the last horse race, they decided that they were going to bet all the money they had left. So they mm-hmm. made in the thousands of dollars because that last horse that started out dead last came in first. And mm. so they did really, really well. And, you know. Well, it was a great visual when I was reading it because I could see these men. You know, you, you wrote it so beautifully. The horse came in. Really, He struggled to get around that, that field. He did. And, he and did. those men, I know they were dying. Just the anticipation um, <laughs> that their big bet was gone down the tube. You'd finally outfoxed yourself. I know. <laughs> it was so funny, too, that that guy, the insurance guy, called me every week to ask me to go with him to the oh races. Oh, my gosh. And I was like, no, no. I mean, number one, he first he said for John and I to go the next weekend. And we were like, no, we, we that's okay. We had plans, whatever. <laughs> And the next weekend he called and we said no. And then he 
started calling me privately, you know, and oh my saying, goodness. Go and just look. If I just tell you the names of the horses, will you just tell me which one you think? And and then he even got to where he said, "I'll pay you if you will just ride with me up there. You don't even have to pick the horses." It was really oh wild. Goodness. Oh my goodness! Well, you know, the vision that I was having trouble seeing was that where you started. The, the fact that you asked your husband if you could put a bet down <laughs> was sort of told me something. You know that you were very. Uh, um, uh, very, um, you didn't do much without his approval, or you did it as a team effort. And so then I read about you're this tremendously successful literary agent, and I'm like, how did this happen? I mean, it just seems so strange, you know, that you got to that success. So you must have used that intuitive skill in helping promote your authors and and get careers started and write? I did. And when I first went to New York, it was um, formidable because, you know, New York publishing is very cliquish and it's very much uh, who's been around. And a lot of the agents were editors and a lot of the agents become editors and get involved Mm -hmm. in publishing. And I was just out of left field. And Mm -hmm. I was so obsessively uh, determined for um, celebrating this Mm -hmm. information that I knew was so enlightening and freeing and understanding the deeper level of things and and also empowering. It was so empowering, I thought, for myself and for all women. And mm-hmm. um, I, I just would any. I, I mean, I would go into a publishing house and have a meeting with an editor. But as I left, I talked to every editor that would talk to me all the way down the hall. And mm-hmm. sometimes they were like, <laughs> "You're walking." <laughs> but I was just so sure that the self-help and this particular world of understanding who we are as human beings and what our lessons mm-hmm. are and how to develop our um, inner voice and how to develop the power that would carry us forward in a way that was not like a man's way of going forward. That Mm. was um, not that it wasn't aggressive because I I became, I really learned to be aggressive, which I had Mm -hmm. never really been. And I, Mm -hmm. and as when I first started selling the uh, TV series, I would go yeah. into these meetings with all of these lawyers and my lawyer. My mm-hmm. lawyer was like, I, he was right out of central casting. He was like perfect for me for where I was and what I was doing. And mm-hmm. his office was on 57th Street and mine was at 52nd and Broadway. And he was 57th and Broadway. And the funniest thing, this is just an aside, but I just thought it was hilarious. The first time I called him up and I said, this is Sandra Martin and I'm calling for Robert Gold. And this voice said, this is Sandra Martin, too. I said, no, this is, I'm Sandra Martin. <laughs> and his secretary's name was Sandra Martin. Oh, no. <laughs> How strange that is. <laughs> I know, it's really strange. But anyway, so, um, but we would go to these meetings, and all of these 
because they were million dollar deals, big big deals, mm-hmm. and um, the the men in these rooms, these other guy, almost always men, would talk directly to the lawyer, and the lawyer yes. would say to them over and over, this is not my deal. This is Sandra's deal. Speak to her. She's the mm-hmm. one with the contract. She's the one with the money. She's the one that's putting this deal together. Speak mm-hmm. to her. But he really, you know, and I know that there are a lot of lawyers that would have uh, embraced that you know, as mm-hmm. the power to be, you know, and, and said, I'm taking care of you. Don't worry about it. But he all was right. um, very um, open and, and and interested in all of these subjects at the same, uh, you know, also. But he was, um, he really kind of taught me how to be and how to be strong with, you know, he said um, to me, Sandra, if you're, you tell me exactly what it is that you want. And don't mm-hmm. give just because you've got eight men saying we're not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Because you hold the power. You hold the power. Yeah. So anyway, but it was a it was a really long process, and you know I was this little short, overweight lady, and and <laughs> all these big guys. But it was so funny. I have a long body and short legs, and mm-hmm. so when we were sitting at these big conference room tables. We were all same height. As soon as we stood up, I was like, darn. (laughs) (laughs) Your feet were dangling. (laughs) But it was was just a great, um, it was an extreme learning experience. And I learned to Mm be really, really strong. And I learned to be nice and to be strong. And um, these publishers, the um, editors, who had been working with really powerful people. And some of the agents in uh, New York were just known to be practically evil. They were, you know, screaming and mm. yelling and acting like three-year-olds and whatever. But they would um, they would say to me, you're so nice. I thought this was going to be easy. But, man, you're really demanding for your clients. I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> I think that is so... Um admirable because I do think that using your feminine skills and as part of your weapon, if you will, your your debating, your um what do I want to say, savvy at the table is so important to getting using getting what you want. Didn't don't you think that was one of your your actual yes. strengths? I think in, it was. Mm-hmm. I think growing up in the South was a real plus. Mm-hmm. Growing mm-hmm. up in a way that, and especially in a Southern family that, I mean, the house I grew up in had been in our family since 1862. We were oh, in my. that genteel Southern world where yes. people were really nice but very definite about everything, you know. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. not wishy-washy or, so um, it was uh I think that that was a huge, huge plus. And mm-hmm. I think, too, that um, one of the things that that really helped me so much was that, number one, I think I must be the most curious person I know. <laughs> and I really liked people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I liked talking to people and getting to know people. I remember the first time I went out to the West Coast to pitch movies and TV series and things like that. And I mean, Ghost Whisperer was, um, James Ron Prague was my client and 
that was one of the theories and things. But um, oh, cool! I would I would go out there with um, one time I went out there with this agent from she's uh, a big talent agent in New York City. I forgot now, not <laughs> CAA, but the other one. And um, I went out there, and he said, "Now, Sandra, when we go in there to pitch this idea, this was something that he um, it was." You know, one of my clients and his clients, and they came together, and they were going to make to pitch the show. So um, we we went out there, and he said, "Now, you know, you only get like five or six minutes. They just because that's all they do is they see people, and you come and go, and they just say mm-hmm. no, yes, right there." And I mm-hmm. said, "Wow, I've been coming out here for years, and that's never really happened to me. I've always, <laughs> um, you know, stayed for a long time." <laughs> and he goes, "No way, no way." And I said, uh, "Why?" Well, then you just you listen, and I, and so we would sit there, and I would start. I would talk talk about what the client was doing or whatever, but it was mm-hmm. almost always something in this field, in my field. So we would talk about dreams, we talk about psychic experiences, or we talk about spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. And these young guys who were um, few men, I mean few women, but young guys, and you could tell that they they were so tired of being held so tight that they would just sit back in their chairs and we, they would tell me about a dream that they had had and what do you think that means and or their child was having um, nightmares and, and what it, what did I do, what would you do about that? I mean, and this guy who is, you know, well-known producer today would say to me, I do not know how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of it is I just think you're dealing with a, an area of subject that everybody is curious about. Yeah. They know there's more than just yeah. what's what we see. So yeah. there's they. It's just so fascinating to them. And I you think did it, it. Is true. Sandra. You did it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was really relentless there for those. 20 years. I, well, actually, it, was, it wasn't quite that long, but I was just, um, and uh, after I had sold so many books, mm-hmm. and um, here we were in the TV world, and I had started off on television. That was my right. beginning on TV. Yes. And um, uh-huh. so I knew a lot more, actually, about television than about books. But I learned really fast. And uh, I mean, I ended up becoming a literary agent. I don't know if I, I said this and and or if you saw this, but it's a really funny, interesting story. I was in Virginia Beach and I had been working for this PBS network, and I wrote up this long eight-hour series that I wanted to um, produce, which was all about dreams, and it was understanding your dreams. It was about yeah. dreams of symbols and dreams and visions and all of that kind of thing, because mm-hmm. um, I I just was. I had always had precognitive dreams, and I was really interested in that. So, okay, um, Sandra, before you go yeah. any further, I want to get us ready. We have to go to break, and I don't want okay. to interrupt that <laughs> more of the okay. story. I'll tell but you the when dream, I come back. Yes, I did see where you did this series on the power of dreams. So when I come, when we come back, let's let's start with that talking about it because I don't want to interrupt it. It was a three-hour. Okay. Uh, documentary series that you did, yeah, right? Yeah. 
And we yeah, probably right. half the audience out there saw it. And now we're talking to you. So <laughs> when we come back from our break, we're going to talk. And Sandra's going to tell us about this unique experience she had to talk about the dreams. And probably many of you were tuned in. I know I probably was because this has always been very fascinating to me. And we've, I'm, just fascinated with it today. So when we come back, we'll be talking about with Sandra about dreams. Transformational coach, motivational speaker, and author, Joyce Buford returns after this short break. Would you like to know how to bring more ease to all the decisions you need to make in life? Knowing your core values is the first step in Joyce's free live masterclass. You'll discover your top five core values in as little as 45 minutes. Join her now at freegiftfromjoyce.com. Close your eyes and imagine living your life without limits. Where would you go? Who would you meet? What would you do? During an Uncover Your Hidden Genius session, you will discover what's keeping you from living your life with purpose, passion, and fulfillment of your potential. You'll get a clear vision of the steps you need to take to uncover your hidden genius so that you can live a life without limits. Sessions can be done over the phone, Skype, or in person. Find out more at www.JoyceBufordEmpowers.com or by calling 903-287-0747. Welcome back to this segment of Second Wind. Joyce Buford, the creator of Uncover Your Hidden Genius, continues in this segment to share insight that will help you live a life of greater purpose, fulfillment, and ease. Now here's our host, author and coach, Joyce Buford. Welcome back. Now you'll remember before break that Sandra was telling us about a documentary that she had done on dreams. So it's all yours, Sandra. Take it over and let's keep this journey going okay. on the dreams. So now was, while I was working... Go ahead. While I was working at um, WHRO, the PBS station, I had written up this long eight hours on dreams, um, everything you wanted to know about dreams. And actually, that's what I had called it, everything you wanted to know about dreams. Mm-hmm. And at that time, this was the early 80s, there were only three networks. And then later, um, TBS um, started and then CNN. So there were not a lot of mm-hmm. options. And so I went around and all three of the networks said no. And PBS mm-hmm. said no. And they actually said Yes, if you put all the money together, then we'll do it and take our 25%. But anyway, that didn't, uh, it didn't work. And so I was so, I was, I had been so successful at this little network that I just thought, wow, this is such a good subject and everybody dreams and everybody wants to know about their dreams. But anyway, I didn't sell it. And that summer, um, I ended up um, sort of taking care, not sort of taking care of my sister's nine-year-old son and so I was just um in Virginia Beach and going to the ocean and things were nice and I was going to go back to the PBS station in the fall and um that summer a a woman came to the door 
uh, and just uh, opened the door. It was in, uh, in August, and uh, she was almost crying, and she said, Carol said you could help me. And I said, to do what? And she said, I wrote a book about of cat stories, and um, I sold it to a publisher in New York, and the editor called and said that they were that morning had come in and canceled the imprint and canceled my book. And I really need this money because it was going to pay the IRS. And I really need this money. She starts crying. Mm -hmm. And she comes in and sits down. And I said to her, you know, I know absolutely zero, nothing about publishing. And I said, (laughs) wonder why Carol thought I could do this. And she said, well, Carol knew that you work with big, huge companies. Mm-hmm. And for the PBS network, I did. I worked with, you know, Newport New Shipbuilding and things like that. So I was very familiar with big organizations. Right. So um, I thought, wow, I don't know. And so she told me, you know, her long story. And um, I just kept saying, I just don't know what to do. And finally, I said, I'll go make us some tea and I'll think about this. So I went in the kitchen. I was making us some jasmine tea. And I was thinking, Sandra, just... Just give her some ideas, things that you would do mm-hmm. if it was your deal. And mm-hmm. um, so I wrote down these five or six points, and I said, you know, if it's a big company, they act really slowly. If you sold your book once, you can sell it again. If they're not going to do anything then and you pushing, they might say, oh, we want this. I mean, this is just the way those big companies acted. So I wrote down all these things. And I gave her this list, and she was so grateful. And I said, so write them a letter demanding your rights back now, you know, a, a mm-hmm. legal re- retraction. So uh, she said, thank you, thank you. And she left, and um, she took the box of tissues with her, and she left. <laughs> and so which I was like, wow. <laughs> but anyway, so she was like, she later said, I don't know why I did that. I was just, I've been crying so much. <laughs> But anyway, she came back that afternoon, and she had written this really professional legal letter. But the last line said, if you have any questions, please call Sandra Martin at 804. And and I remember my number from that. And I said, Norma, you can't do that because I know nothing about this. And she started crying again. And I thought, oh, they'll just write her a letter. Go, go, go. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) So she left, and, and I thought that's fun. So um, a few weeks later, this was my home number, I answered the telephone early one morning, like 8.30 or so. It wasn't even 9. And and this really high, squeaky man's voice said, is this Sandra Martin? And I said, yes, it was. And he said, I don't know who you think you are. We've never heard of you before. There's no way you can do this. You know, we have a contract. And he's just going on and on. And I'm just thinking, who is this guy, and what is he talking about? And I just could not even get to break in to ask him anything. But by then, you know how that the old Southern Magnolia persona comes on, and you just go, you know, nobody's ever talked to me this way, and I'm not taking this either. And Uh so I just said to him, you know, uh, when he finally slowed down, that, um, that she had this contract, she had the right to do this, and that, uh, you know, if you wanted this book, you'd have to renegotiate it to get it. And uh, because of what the editor had said, and he, we hung up on each other. He said, well, we'll see about that. And I hung up and he hung up. Uh-huh. And so I'm looking around the house trying to find this girl's last name and her, her, um, her number. And, 
he called back and he said, in the most pleasant voice, he said, so we'll renegotiate. So I called this girl and Norma and I said for her to please, you know, this is his number, call him up, do this with him. He wants to do this. And she said, oh, Sandra, please, would you do it? She just she had been saying when I was, um, when she was there the first time, the, they're just so evil. They're just so evil. And I'm going, no, oh, I don't think they're really evil. I, I don't think publishing <laughs> is really evil. <laughs> but, um, but he Difference really, in perspective there. <laughs> yeah. And so he, he had really um, sort of piqued my interest in a way that was not positive or negative, but a very challenging way. So uh-huh. I said to her, okay, I'll do that. So I got in my car and I drove to the bookstore and I bought a book, a little paperback book that said, How to Be Your Own Literary Agent. And I read oh. that book from the page one to the end that night. And the next morning, um, when he called uh, early again, I, I told him exactly what had happened and exactly how it happened and that he was going to have to work with me to, to, to do this. And mm-hmm. she had gotten a $7,000 advance, which she hadn't gotten because it was a contract, you know, that was right. canceled. But I ended up getting her $45,000 advance for this book of cat stories. And wow. she must have told every single person in Virginia <laughs> Beach who was writing a book. <laughs> and that's how I became a literary agent. And this boy, this young guy, sent me two dozen huge yellow roses and said to me, you should do this. You are really good at this. Oh, my goodness. And you just wrote a a book, a a self-help book. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. it was. It's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's amazing. And that woman is probably your friend to this day. (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. She actually came to New York and worked for me for a while. And then uh-huh. she went out to L.A. and worked for Lifetime, Lifetime um, um, Television mm-hmm. Network. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she she just says, Sandra Martin saved my life. <laughs> she used to oh. say that to people. <laughs> but it That's was um, amazing to go from 7 to 45. That's amazing. I know. I know. But that was one of the reasons that I had such a reputation in um in New York for because I came out of the blue and because mm-hmm. I got people big money in this field mm-hmm. that hadn't gotten it. Um, I got parapsychologists who had never been published by anything like mainstream press, $100,000 deals with HarperCollins and things like mm-hmm. that. So the, it, was, in, it was big. But Sandra, what is there one thing you can say that was the the reason that you were able to get such good um, m- monies for your clients? Is it you one know, thing um, or is it just a multitude of different things that you made such a difference in that area for your clients? I think that part of it was force of personality. I was just so determined. Mm-hmm. And because these people didn't know, they're not like they're not like us. They're like ensconced on this little tiny island, and they don't even know what happens across that Hudson River. And they would say things to me like, well, what are people thinking out there? <laughs> in the real and I world. Would say, yeah, in the real world. And I would tell them what that was going on. But because I had attended 
every conference that you could attend, the um, the noetic science groups, the mm-hmm. um, ARES groups, the spiritual, all the spiritual groups. I was really into everything that was in a spiritual growth kind of thing. And yeah. I saw that people were pa- passionate about these changes. And if there was a book, every book was sold because mm. they were so hungry for it. And um, so then when I started selling these books, they sold really, really well, very, very well. They had, mm-hmm. I had big bestsellers that were, you know, I mean, even one of the first ones I had was on uh, an alternative health on not um, on hormone therapy that was alternative for hormones, oh, you know, yeah. women going through uh, right. change of life and, and also all these different things. And that book sold, you know, 50,000, 60,000 copies every year for like 20 oh years. Yeah. And so it was, and it was a basic book. And so they, you know, then everybody would want one of the, one of that. I want one mm-hmm. just like that, you know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then I would sell books that were, which they called midlist books, which meant that they were steady. They sold continuously. Mm-hmm. They didn't mm-hmm. go out of print and the person was always out there talking about them and things like that, that were mm-hmm. on the basic things like spiritual growth, uh, understanding your inner self, understanding who you really are, coming mm-hmm. into your own power, that kind of thing. Self-help, that, that, but also dreams and understanding your intuition and things like that. Right. Well, there is a question that I'm thinking of now. You know, the the self-publishing world has just taken off like crazy. And um, I, like you, have just finished writing a book and it was all self-published. I don't, yours is not because your daughter published it, right? Yeah, my daughter published it, yeah. Yeah. And so how has that, that has to have impacted um, the book industry, right? Well, yes, the book industry has changed dramatically since I <clears throat> started in it. When I first started, there were, I think it was 19 publishers in New York mm-hmm. City, big publishers, mm-hmm. and they just kept buying each other up until now there are only three. And really? They, they own everything, yes. Random House now owns Bantam. I mean, when I was, first went there, Random House and Bantam, they were just at odds all the time. If one had it, the other one had it. So now mm-hmm. when you go to sell a book that you would have had all of these different people to bid on, mm-hmm. now they'll say, how many of the people, of the publishers under our imprint have you sent this to? So then they oh. among themselves decide. So it's really, really hard to get mm-hmm. a really big deal like it was. And it's also mm-hmm. when Barnes & Noble came in and started putting all of the small publishing, um, small booksellers out of business because they mm-hmm. were doing these mass sales and things mm-hmm. and undercutting their prices. When that happened, the small booksellers were the ones that sold books. You know, they said, they would say, I read this book. This is a really good book. You should buy this book. And mm. Barnes & Noble didn't have that. They People weren't trained to do that. And mm-hmm. so the small booksellers left. And so Barnes & Noble then just really, and Borders, took over all of the um, markets in, in this country. Mm. And then Amazon came along. And Amazon oh, yeah. out of business. Mm. 
And but what has happened because of that is that the publishing houses are really afraid of taking on anything that that um, they don't think will make it, and they mm-hmm. don't know how to make things be successful anymore because it's so a diverse and such a dis- uh, everything is so diffuse. You know, there was mm-hmm. like no specific path mm-hmm. like there used to be. I mean. When mm-hmm. I did the parapsychology book, Dean Radin's book, uh, uh, he was on the cover of the New York Times Magazine, a story about his book. It was like yeah. two first in one, you know, month. And, mm-hmm. uh, but now you can't really guarantee those kinds of things because it's mm-hmm. not, it, 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 right. it's not that it's not, um, possible, but it's really, really hard to get it. And so mm-hmm. what's happening is that people are publishing their own books and promoting their own books. And, of course, mm-hmm. then they're making most of the money, which, you know, in publishing, you make a pittance. Uh, I mean, right. I used to say to every yeah. client that came and sat in front of me, you do have a day job, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I came, I did much of my early studying with Jack Canfield. And, of course, his story about, seen 130 something like 135 publishers before anybody would take on something so strange as his book which was all little vignettes i like to tell them all little stories um i am so familiar with that but um and it was a very small publisher that took that book on his original one but anyway it's gone on to do quite well but i want to talk about him in the time that we have left, this new era era that you have crossed over. You were the lady that sold the books, and now you are a, a writer. And your daughter, who is in the publishing industry, um, did us a favor by encouraging you to share your love of cooking, which I understand you love to do parties and so, uh, <laughs> and so, how did you? Um, ha- well, how did she convince you to do this book? Well, the, I know that writing a book is really, really hard. It's a hard job, but I never really understood how hard it was until I wrote one. But <clears throat> she came in one day and she said, because I knew she had started this publishing company with a. Uh, uh, editor in New York City and, you know, they had worked together and this is what they wanted to do. She said, Mom, I want you to write a book of, um, of your recipes because we think that res- uh, recipe books will sell good, cookbooks sell good. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that would be good. And, and I was just looking at her while she was saying that. And in my mind, I was thinking, <laughs> this is child not know me one bit. I have never used a recipe in my life. It is like suggestions for me. Oh. And she, she was like, Mom, and I, she said, I want you to do this. And I said, okay, I'll do it. So for like six months, I cooked and I measured what I was cooking. And oh, and I you've just been one of these poured in girls? Yes. And I, oh, I my. Sort of said, oh, this will work. And I mean, it was really hard for me to even ever make anything the same way twice. But mm-hmm. I practiced and, and I got everything <laughs> down just like it should be. And yeah. I, I did all of that, and I, while I was doing that, I was writing these stories about um, things that had happened to me in my life. I mean, I have had really extraordinary things happen. I have been so 
gifted with this life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has been an amazing time. And so um, I would write these down, and I would li- I would sit at my desk typing, laughing at my own things. I would just go, girl, it's a wonder you live through that. <laughs> you know? But, you know, angels go in where, well, whatever that is, go in with and they protect the tread. Yeah, and so I really have always, I've always entertained, I've always had parties. I love to have people come and sit and talk around a big table. Mm. And I think the richest conversations come from that and Mm. the deepest understanding of our connection to each other. Mm. I mean, that's what we're here for. We're here for each other. I yeah. mean, look at this gift of what you're doing. I mean, this is a wonderful radio um, mm-hmm. uh, radio show, a series that is empowering and wonderful. And, I mean, one of the things I was reading about what you were doing, and I thought, oh, I did vision boards. I didn't even know they were called that then. <laughs> but I put up, you know, when I was first starting, I put, I would get the New York Times, and I would take out that New York Times bestseller list, and I would just put those up around on my bulletin board and put whoever mm-hmm. book I was working on the top and put their name right under there. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was working it. So anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh. Well okay, so uh, this is hard this is a hard one, I know. But if you were going to pick out a recipe, now you talked about jalapeno pepper jelly which i love and you talked about your shrimp dish and your chicken with apricot dish (laughs) but do you have a dish that you kind of would love to share with us the dish and more so the story and how you could relate a dish to a story you know um let me think well um there was, I always cooked a lot of soups mm-hmm. because, you know, I had a family and it was just something, that, you know, because I worked and the kids went to school and I would, so I would always make these soups. And I made this old fashioned soup from my grandmother, my dad's mother. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, everybody always loved it. And so I always made it. And in New York, I was such an anomaly amongst my friends because I would invite people to my house to have, to my apartment to have dinner. And Mm -hmm. no one else ever did that. They always went out to a restaurant and ate. Oh, yeah. And mostly Mm -hmm. it was because they had tiny apartments. But I had a big and nice apartment, you know. So I would have have people there. And there were these guys and, and women that worked for me in different TV network uh, mm-hmm. projects that we were doing and I mm-hmm. would often have them come over and we would go over what we were doing and whatever just at my house so that I could say this is the focus this is what I want you to come back with this is how I'm looking at all of this and this is what this means and often I would actually have this soup this old-fashioned soup I used to make and there were people that uh, worked for me that would say to me casually, well, what are you cooking this weekend? What are you going to do? And if I said I was going to make that soup, <laughs> they would literally show up on my doorstep. They would, oh, I mean, the chairs would call from downstairs and say, Lars is here. 
I go, wow, I didn't call Lawrence. He would just come to the door and said, you said you were making that soup. I thought maybe I'd come by and I could get some. <laughs> so that it was a very nurturing soup. And I think it nurtured these young people who were on film crews and who, you know, ate pizza when they walked down the street. And, and it yeah. was, I think, you know, you had good bread and nice, thick, hearty soup, and it was meaningful for them. And it was mm-hmm. meaningful for me because it meant uh, a lot to me that they appreciated what mm-hmm. I was doing. And, um, you know, they were all far away from home and, all of that. Right. So it was good all the way around. But I loved making that soup and I still make it. Yeah. Now, the other transition that I'd like to go over a little bit is the transition that you made from the city, New York City, to your uh, home ranch. Um, it's not a ranch, farm. It's a farm. A farm. farm. Yeah. I'm in Texas, you know. Um, <laughs> so the farm. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, from a very productive life, very, you know, lots of stress and all of that, which we just love to live every day, don't we? But um, to more of a quiet life, I would think. Um, yeah. How was that adjustment? I have to say it was really, really hard. And my and it came about in sort of a strange way. It was right after 9-11, and we mm-hmm. were there, and... and um, that was intense. But my father had died in July of mm-hmm. 2001. Mm-hmm. And I realized when I came down here for the funeral that I hardly knew my family. I mean, my family, we were farmers. So nobody really ever came to see me. I would come down and visit. And occasionally my brother would come up who runs the farm now. But, you know, it was a foreign world to them. Mm-hmm. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, you realize what's important. And family is important. And so yeah. I wanted to come back here and do that. And so I came back and I got a house and a lot of my friends in New York would come and visit. Some, oh, this one friend came and she said she'd worked at A&E forever and lived on 46th Street in New York City, which is called Restaurant <laughs> Row. And she used to say, I would be talking on the phone and she'd go, yeah, it's like a party and I'm never invited because she could hear all the noise on the street. <laughs> But, um, oh. she, she came down, and the house was on the lake. It's quiet. It's peaceful. And I thought, mm. well, it would be really nice for her to sleep like this. And the next morning, mm. I said, so how was it? And she said, I didn't shut my eyes all night. And I said, what? And she said, so dark, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. And what were all those strange noises? I was like, what noises? And it was like trees blowing and like crickets and yeah, frogs. Just nature. And she was scared and she, she never came back and stayed. Oh, she didn't. That was enough. No, she needed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it has to be so fulfilling now that, because you're still connected to your passion. You're still yeah. cooking. This book was a great idea to, you do gardening now, right? Yes, I do. I love my organic garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you're able to put that into the dishes and the recipes and all that that you enjoy. Um, yeah. making for friends, and I'm sure you still entertain. I do. I do. I love to entertain. <laughs> and that when I moved down here, um, my mom um, said, Sandra, there are just not very many people that are interested in what you're, 
you know, you do, and there are just not that many people. But my friends would come, and and I would just have people come to the house, and they mm. would talk about, you know, spiritual laws or whatever we were talking mm-hmm. about. And yeah. Finally, yeah. I got so much, so many that I couldn't, I couldn't keep them all in my house. It was just too big for this house. It was a little bitty house. And big so retreat. I, so well, really you know, I'm, we have come to the end of our time together, and it has oh. absolutely flown by because, it you know, it, it's so obvious that your life has been rich, and it still is rich in yeah. where you are. I just kind of think it's always rich around you, Sandra. <laughs> <laughs> it changes, but... It's just so full of fulfillment, and we appreciate so much what you have given to us as listeners in connecting and opening self-help and all that that brings with the mysteries of that we just don't know about. So I thank you so much for being part of my show today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. But we we will look forward to seeing what Sandra will be doing next. I'm sure it's something. <laughs> and I have my book, and I'm going to go cook some of these recipes. So right. thank you very much for being with us today. So thank next you. week when when we come back, you will be listening to another fascinating person because we always try to have fascinating people on Second Wind, giving you lots of opportunities to know how your life can grow and grow and keep changing and still be rewarding. So for those of you who have a busy week, we'll see you next week. Thank you for being here today. Joyce Buford returns next week at this same time for another edition of Second Wind. Through the Joyce Buford Empowerment System, women are receiving support during their transition and are able to reclaim their true purpose and strength. They receive the tools they need to map out new lives. You can find out more about her coaching services at 